Thank you, Francois. Um, so you'll see in the bulletin on the back page, as is my want, is to publish uh, sermon notes uh, with all the, I guess, references and uh, readings that I use during the sermon so that you might be able to follow uh, either later or look those up because I guess the point is that um, I'm not trying to convince you and it's not my words that are important. It's what is God saying to us. And, and if you disagree with what I'm saying at the front here, um, you do need to challenge that and actually look in the Bible to see what does God say. And if you're a fan of Colin Buchanan, uh, you'll see in his DVD series he might make a statement and the children will say, prove it, and you say, in the Bible, God says. So in all times, including, um, I think Andrew said it last week, uh, about, yeah, don't, don't listen to my words. Ask yourself what is God actually saying. So this is a Sermon 4 in the series of the Ten Commandments, looking at... The third commandment, which has the, and I'll title the sermon, Bearing the Name. So let's actually read the third commandment, Exodus 20, verse 7. And I save this uh, reading for myself because it's a very short one. Um, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord, uh, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And I thank, uh, Francois for the longer reading from uh, Daniel today as well, and you'll see how we're going to use that later. So God has invited you and me into a covenant relationship with him. And in this invitation, he says to us, you can have my name upon you. Now, have you ever thought about that? Perhaps if you think about it in the context of uh, child adoption, if you adopt a child, you give that child your name. And I've had many friends over the years who themselves have been adopted, but I think mostly about the church we used to go to in Canberra. We're a wonderful family who uh, have had many uh, foster children in their care, but have also adopted some of the children. And it's a wonderful process to watch that after years of caring for this child, they formally adopt the child, and this child takes on their surname. And the church has had a habit of, you know, having a special recognition of the fact that this child is changing their surname to the name of the family that has adopted them within our church. And it's a real, it's a special process to see um, because, you know, that child has now formally and legally become part of that family and has taken their name. That's what the Lord God does for us. He says, you can have my name upon you. And when you become a Christian, God says, now you have my name on you. And I would say to Suzanne there, you now have God's name on you, just like we have God's name. You're now part of our family. We all have the same name. So listen to these words from Numbers verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 22, and I'll read onwards as well. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now these are familiar words, the ironic blessing, not the ironic blessing, but the ironic blessing. And you quite often hear it in a baptism. But now listen to the next few words from verse 27. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. In the covenant relationship, God puts his name on his people. Now, in the New Testament, God commands us to make disciples of all the nations. 
he commands us to invite people everywhere into a covenant relationship with God. And what are we to do in symbolising that covenant relationship? Well, in Matthew 28, 19, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, he puts his name on us. We are baptised in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and we become bearers of his name. So that's the title of this sermon, Bearing the Name. So in Acts chapter 5... You might be familiar with this uh, this scene. The authorities arrest the apostles. Now they are furious that the apostles have been preaching in Jesus' name. In verse 40 in particular, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The apostles bear the name of Jesus Christ. They preach in his name. They rejoice that can suffer for that name. And the people of Jesus soon became known as Christians or christ Christians. So Christians, they gladly take the name of Christ the name of God upon themselves. So here's my question for you today. Do you bear the name of God? Has God put his name upon you? And how are you going at living with that name upon you? So God gave us the third commandment because his name must be honoured. So as we read, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So let's proceed further today under two very uh, broad headings. The third commandment is very broad. We're going to look at that. And then we'll look secondly at what happens to us reflects on God. So first, the third, third commandment is very broad. Let us think about what the third commandment actually means. And hopefully through this series on the Ten Commandments, I'm actually challenging you to look deeper than just the plain English reading. What is the heart matter behind what the Ten Ten Commandments say? What is the sin condemned in the Third Commandment? Traditionally, we would think about it's got something to do with profane speech, you know, the swearing, the cursing, the blaspheming. And if anyone ever goes to the football, you can hear the crowd swearing and saying, Jesus Christ, or something like that. And you think, there they go again. They're using the Lord's name in vain again. That's normally how we think about this commandment. The fact that we think about it in this way is unfortunate because the third commandment is not concerned, first of all, with these sins. And yes, of course, it is wrong. and It's an abomination to use the words like Jesus Christ and God as swear words. But this is not what the third commandment is chiefly about. So the best uh, translation of the third commandment is, you shall not carry about the Lord's name in vain. The Hebrew word for carry about is nasa, a common word that is used 655 times as a verb in the Old Testament. It means to lift up, to raise, to carry, or even to wear. It doesn't say, or it doesn't mean to say, or to speak, or to utter. 
the words used to express the third commandment do not mean in the immediate sense you are not to speak the Lord's name in vain. They mean you should not carry about the Lord's name in vain or you should not lift up, you should not bear in your person the Lord's name in vain. So let's look at these questions again in the context of that. Has God put his name upon you? Have you given your life over to Jesus Christ to love and serve him? And if the answer is yes, how are you going about in bearing God's name? You shall not claim God's name upon you in vain. That's the second part of that commandment. The word translated vain means empty, nothingless or of no substance. It is often used to express God's opinion of idols. They are empty, they have nothing, they have no reality. And to carry about God's name in vain is to treat God as if he were nothing, as if he was just an empty idol. So the third commandment deals here with the sins of nominalism, of formalism, of hypocrisy, or just caring about yourself of having the mere appearance of religion. It's claiming to be a Christian, claiming that name of Christ as your own, but living like the world. So when God says, I will not hold anyone guiltless who claims the name of Christ in vain, he's saying, don't treat me as though there is nothing behind me. So to come before God and to bear his name vainly, uh, to bear his name merely in an outward sense without any real inward heart of it, that's the sin that God is detesting. God will not hold you guiltless if you take up the name Christian in an empty way. So in short, we are the public face of Christ. We are the bearers of Christ's reputation in this world. How terrible would it be to bear that name in vain, to treat that name as an empty thing? So do you see that this is far more serious than simply uttering some particular words or particular names thoughtlessly or profanely? And surely there are millions of people alive today who would never dream of speaking the name of God in profane speech like that, but whose lives every day are breaking the third commandment. So listen to the way that Jesus speaks about the third commandment at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're in Matthew 7 here, verse 13. And Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many may enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And further on, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will recognize them. And then 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does my the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that's the day of judgment, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and did we... Did your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And this is the the crunch here. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Have you ever thought about those words in terms of unfolding the third commandment? And they do. We bear God's name. A false profession, 
Saying one thing and living another brings dishonor to God's name and leads to disaster. Many will say the, to Jesus on the day that he returns, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Such people speak the Lord's name properly and reverently. They might say, Lord, Lord, the repetition of that same name means they have this emotional engagement. And they may cry out and it may be very moving. They have honoured the name of the Lord by prophesying in the name of the Lord and doing miraculous works in the name of the Lord. But what will Jesus say to them? I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So they have broken the third commandment. They have claimed the name of the Lord. They have become emotionally engaged with being a Christian. They have used his name reverently and in powerful works. But Jesus has never known them. And does this sound plausible in this modern world where we have gatherings and modern gatherings of Christian churches who might call on Jesus' name and represent Jesus? But do they actually represent who Jesus truly is and who God truly is? This is a pretty serious warning. It's possible to have your theology right. It's possibly to be deeply moved by Christian things. It's possible to devote your life to an activity and to do amazing things in the name of God and yet never be one of God's people. Maybe you've built your life on sand by just enjoying living a Christian-like life, but never deeply knowing God and never truly carrying his name. So what does Jesus say about how you know you are one of God's people? In verse 21 of the passage in Matthew I just read, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So people who break the third commandment take the name of Jesus on themselves. They call themselves Christians, but they ignore the will of God. They think that to obey God is unnecessary. Now Paul warns Timothy about such people and, and describes them as having a false form of godliness, but denying its power. Oh, sorry, he describes them as having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So what's Paul's verdict on these people? And he says, have nothing to do with them. Now these are strong words, but Jesus wants nothing to do with them either. In Revelation 3.16, and the words are quite graphic here, Jesus threatens to vomit them out of his mouth, those who are lukewarm about their faith. Jesus is revolted by those who falsely and hypocritically take up his name. So now don't get me wrong here. It's a detestable habit to use the words God and Jesus Christ profanely without any content. And you know how it goes, and especially in the last couple of years, you really notice how, oh my God, has become a sudden trendy expression of expressing surprise or even OMG. Um, You don't need to turn the TV on these days without seeing OMG used endlessly. Um, And even derivations of it. And the word Jesus Christ has become... Uh, you know, the normal reaction to hitting your thumb with a hammer or doing something stupid. These words are indeed highly objectionable being used in this way. But the third commandment is aimed at people upon whom God has put his name. His reputation is at stake in how we bear God's name. So do not bear God's name lightly without any gravity or without any weight or with any glory. And I would challenge you to bear Jesus' names well.
So we see why Jesus places right at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer the first petition, hallowed be your name. There will be a time when much of the Lord's Prayer will be useless and out of date. And I'm talking about a time in heaven when we won't need to pray, give us our daily bread because there'll be no more hunger. We won't need to pray, lead us not temptation or to forgive us from our sins because there won't be any sin or the tempter, the devil, will be locked away forever. But the hallowing of God's name will go on forever. This will be the great task of heaven. We will be forever singing God's glory and praising him for his greatness. We'll be ever, forever involved in hallowing his name. So the big question that the third commandment places before us is this. Are we really Christians? I like to think of the third commandment as the most Australian of all commandments. And stay with me here. It's commanding us to be fair dinkum about God. Are we real and are we serious? We are called to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. If we do not wish to do that, we should forget playing around with religion. We should stop using the name Christian if we don't love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Uncommitted Christians whose heart and energy and intellect and experience and the gifts and money are not in the Lord's work at all, to use the words from Revelation, make Jesus vomit. They are bane and a great weakness of the church today. And I would point to perhaps the greatest weakness of the Christian church in the world today is so-called Christians who are uncommitted and do not wish to follow the Lord's work and yet dedicate themselves with great passion and enthusiasm to things that are not a God's will. So, stand before the spotlight of the third commandment and heed the warning attached to it. So as we've just seen, the third commandment is very broad. But to press this home, let's quickly turn to the second point. What happens to us reflects on God. In Daniel chapter 9... Daniel prays one of the greatest prayers of the Bible. When Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed. Daniel is in exile in Babylon. He prays for Jerusalem and he prays for God's people. And listen to how he prays in Daniel 9.17. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for the sake, O Lord, uh, for your sake, O Lord. Look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. So do you get Daniel's prayer here? O Lord, your city and your people bear your name? If you let your city and your people be utterly destroyed, then your name will suffer. People will imagine that you are not powerful enough to maintain your own honour. Now Moses prays this way too. Nehemiah prays this way too. And even Jesus prayed this way. O Lord, may your name be hallowed. May your kingdom come. May you be honoured. Work in us. Work through us. Save us for your glory, for your honour. And for the sake of your name. So what happens to us who bears God's name reflects on God. 
God himself expresses this as the reason he will hear Daniel's prayer and the reason he will bring Israel back from exile into the promised land. And in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, God speaks amazing words. He explains that he sent his people out of the promised land in judgment against their sin, just as he said he would in verse 19. I dispersed them among the nations, and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name, for it was said of them, they are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned amongst the nations where they had gone. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned amongst the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations, the name which you profaned amongst them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. What happens to Israel reflects on God. If God leaves them defeated, his name will suffer. So the same thing applies to us. The New Testament church, Ephesians 2, has these amazing words. His intent, this is God's intent, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does God make his wisdom known? How does he demonstrate his eternal purpose? Paul says that he does these things through the church. When God wants to show the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms something of the greatness of his eternal purpose in Christ, what does he do? God points to the church. This is what I've done. Look at the glory of what I've done in Christ. Look at the church. Now, there is a tremendous determination on the part of God to work in this way. God will be honoured through his people. His name will be honoured. His name will not be used in vain, but will be used in truth. That's his plan, and that's his God's determination, and nothing can stand in his way. So the only question that still hangs in the balance is this. Will we share in that blessing? Will God point to us when he is demonstrating his glory and the honour of his name? Will God say to the angels and the demons and the heavenly authorities, Look at my Mafra church. Look at Mafra community church. Look at them. Look at them and see my glory. See how great I am. Look at them. Aren't you amazed by the greatness of my name? That's God speaking. Will we share in that blessing? The answer is in the third commandment. Do not bear God's name in vain. So bear it well. God pointed to Job in that way. He said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Imagine being someone like that that God could boast about. So I would challenge the young men, and when I say young men, men may be younger than me. Young men, does God point to you and say, look at these young men in Mafra. See the greatness of my graciousness in them. See my glory in them. 
Look at the way they treat the young women as honoured sisters, at how they use food and drink and how they have boundless energy that I've given them and at the way they might enjoy music and technology and the internet without compromise. Look at their lives. It all points to the greatness of my work in them. And perhaps young women, does God point to you and say, look at these young women at Mafra Community Church. See how they devote themselves to purity in their relationships with young men. See how they dress, see how they talk, see how they encourage each other, see how they refrain from gossip and foolish talk, see how they honour their mothers, see how they honour young mothers among them, see how they plan their priorities. Look at my glory, look at my greatness expressed in them. And to the boys and girls, does God point to you and say, ah, it's wonderful how the boys and girls of Mafra Community Church bring me praise and glory. Look at how they honour their parents and other adults. Look at how keen they are to learn about me. My grace is being expressed in their lives even when they're so young. And to the older men of the church, does God point to you and say, consider the older men of Mafra Community Church. Look at the legacy they're leaving for future generations. Isn't it wonderful how they are not giving in to cynicism and passivity like so many men of their age? See how they continue to serve? My grace is being expressed because they continue to hope in me even as their bodies age and their disappointments in life accumulate. That's my grace at work to my glory. And finally, to the older woman, does God point to you and say, consider the older women of Mafra Community Church. Look at the way they've committed themselves to training and serving the younger women. Consider how they're passing on their wisdom to children, to grandchildren, Mark well the way they encourage their husbands. None of that is natural. It is my work. See how they honour my name. There's a lot of there's a lot of statements there. But that's pretty heavy stuff when you think of how does God look at us and see how we obey him in the third commandment by taking his name and not using it in vain. There are two questions to answer today. Do you bear the name of Jesus Christ? That might be easy, but you can have the name, the Lord's name, even on your lips and say, Lord, Lord, and yet be unknown to Jesus. But the second question gets to the heart of it. Do you bear the name of Jesus Christ well? Here is what Jesus wants for you. To enjoy the immense blessing of God himself pointing you out as the one who demonstrates the glory of his name. Don't settle for anything less. Bear Jesus Christ's name well. Amen. Let me pray. Father, as we consider what uh, your Bible says to us and as we particularly look at the third commandment, Lord, we see ourselves in a very brilliant spotlight and We don't like what we see. We see our own hypocrisy. We see our own failings. We see our sinfulness. And yet, Lord, we see you as our saviour and the one who is perfect and the one who is pure. Lord, grant us by your spirit that we might truly commit our heart to following you, to loving and worshipping you with all our heart and our mind that we might do all these things, not just saying your name and calling ourselves Christians, but indeed having a heartfelt desire to follow and do your will. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.